Welcome to the Bridge to Branches podcast. You and your entirety are welcome here, no matter who you are, where you're from, or what you've been through. On the Bridge to Branches podcast, we believe every mental health experience is valid and has power. If you are tending to your mental health, you are smart and brave. If life is a tree, mental health is the bridge from the roots to the branches, connecting where we've been and what we've been through to its impact on the world, spanning outwards. Mental health is the bridge to your destiny in this world. Join us in talking about it. Content warning for this episode. In this episode, we speak of psychosis and talk about drug and substance use. Hi everyone, Alex here. Thanks so much for being with us. Today on this episode, we have with us Craig Salerno. Craig is a licensed professional counselor and licensed addiction counselor working as a psychotherapist in Boulder, Colorado. Through his own journey of self-exploration and healing, Craig has become passionate about supporting others and navigating their mind in a way that promotes dignity, love, and self-efficacy. Craig believes that meeting one's mind with openness, clarity, and compassion is the starting point to uncovering a path for healing and service to the world. We hope you enjoy episode five. So let's kind of dive in. Um and talk about first mental health and just the term. I'm wondering how you kind of either relate to the term or even define it. Yeah, I think it's a good place to start. Um, Mental health to me in the overall sense is just like the kind of relationship we're developing with our mind. I think the pursuit of mental health comes to that foundation, which is how do we relate to the different manifestations of how our mind works, whether it be thoughts and mood and um, imagery that comes to our mind. It's just like the never-ending relationship that we have to forge with our mental states. So that's, to me, what kind of mental health represents. And within that, I kind of see two facets, which is cultivating forms of mind that bring forth benefit in our day-to-day lives. So things like perseverance, openness, curiosity, compassion. Ultimately, if we kind of work towards these forms of mind, they tend to provide benefit in our relationships and the way we relate to the external environment, Um, but then also just like learning tools and learning strategies for navigating forms of mind that are quite difficult and present challenge and fear um, and trepidation. So kind of those two paths of like, how do we really build the things that we love that help us move through the world in a way that feels joyful? And then also how do we learn to navigate and tolerate things that maybe feel quite challenging and difficult and confusing? Oh, I love that. It's like the yin-yang. I don't know if you saw our new logo. I did. I love it. 
Yeah, thank you. We're yeah. so excited about it. Um, yeah, this fits in just so perfectly. So, like, by kind of um, adapting or working with all of these different facets of our mind, that's how we create, like, healthy mental health, it kind of sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Um, so I'm curious how you relate to the term mental illness then, and um, if you don't even use that term, which maybe you don't, um, what language do you like to use rather than that? Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. I got to listen to your first, first podcast, and you were talking about mental health journey, and I just love the dynamic of a journey. To me, I'm like, we, we go in and out of states of feeling healthy and then feeling confused, and perhaps for us internally we're feeling ill and struggling with things that feel quite difficult. And to me, I'm like, I really feel like it depends on the user, right? Like internally, for me, the word mental illness doesn't hit too many chords. Um, but I also carry the idea, like, there's a lot of negative connotation with the term illness. They can really stick to oneself in a sense of, like, identity. So, I, I mean, I've watched this personally and watched this with people I work with. Um, like, when we think we are the mental illness versus this is a type of mind that is manifesting right now in my life and it's something that you have to navigate. Um, but I always think, too, we can relate to this kind of, like, witnessing consciousness that isn't the illness, right, that is able to witness the illness. And to me, that's my only tough part with mental illness is maybe it's just feeling a little bit too stuck with one's identity. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, yes, I mean, we need a term to represent what happens in the mind. Like, illness can be biological and physical, and illness can manifest in the way our thoughts and moods work. So in some way, I really think mental illness helps normalize the fact that yes states of mind can get very challenging and difficult can present symptoms um so i do think we need a term and yeah i just try to hold it fairly loosely i like that i like what you're saying a lot um i think i would agree that mental health it kind of gets people almost like stuck in like the, the shadow almost like mm -hmm. it sounds like like in a like for me, as I talked about in the first episode, um, my experience with paranoia, it's like when I am I not experiencing mental illness when I'm not experiencing the paranoia. So there's kind of like this interesting connection too with like the symptoms. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really appreciate what you're saying. Yeah, I guess my my concern with it feeling too lodged to the identity is, I mean, there are times even when one is struggling with a mental health illness, but they're also experiencing forms of health and openness and witnessing even compassion towards the symptoms arising. And to me, yeah, I would hope that illness gives some area to recognize the mind is way wider than just the symptoms that are happening, if that makes sense. I really like that. Yeah. I really like that. I, yeah. I also... I don't know if you want to talk about the term psychosis at all, um, but that to me is kind of just like a break with reality. But then we have other experiences where we're kind of like always having like breaks with reality. So is psychosis like psychosis is like it gives kind of like a negative spin on the experience to like move away from, you know, three dimensional current reality. Yeah. Yeah, but it's curious, too. I mean, yeah, psychosis to me, I'm like, when I really think of that term, it's someone who's experiencing, yeah, like a mind state that's really not fitting consensus reality, maybe like perceiving data and really experiencing things that when bounced off someone else typically is not the same way other people are kind of agreeing that reality manifests. But to me, I'm like, everybody's kind of in their own natural kind of guess and test of what reality is. And to me, psychosis is almost like all the lights get turned up, you know, I'm like, 
a lot more a lot more data to contend with, and in some ways that can be immensely pleasurable and spiritual and intense, and it also can be like you said, like paranoid, you know, like even to the point of hallucination or delusion. And yeah, it's just a much wider view of the data in front of us. Yeah. I really like that description when all the lights are on. Like that definitely yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny. Our mind has worked in such a good way to actually limit the amount of stimulus we get. Because if we did feel sensitive and aware of everything, it would overload us. And I feel like someone who goes into a psychosis state, I mean, some of some of the filters kind of turn down and or disappear, and all of a sudden you're perceiving you know, a lot of data that otherwise kind of like shifted or moved away from the mind. And to me, I'm like, in some ways can be an immense gift also feel like an immense curse. Um, right. But yeah, when you're, when you're in an experience like that, I feel quite challenging to handle that amount of stimuli and data. Definitely. Definitely. I know that when I was experiencing racing thoughts at kind of like different or various peaks of my, what I guess was called psychosis, it felt like, my, I was, like, almost accessing, like, different parts of my brain that I didn't typically access. Yeah. That's, kind of thought my, uh, that's how fast my thoughts were moving, and it was completely overwhelming. And it's, like, again, it was, like, with all the lights being turned on, like, I, like, I had thoughts coming in, like, at all different times and, like, all together and of all different sort, like, dynamic. It was just, it was, yeah, it was wild, so I totally... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds well. And you would imagine, yeah, I can imagine how paranoia is an re- immediate response to that, right? When our mind is used to an organized and consensus reality, and then all of a sudden we shift, I think the first kind of intuitive sense of like, this is not normal, or this is abnormal, this is not right. And you can imagine like a very busy mind can take that and spin that into immense paranoia and fear. And yeah. Yeah, completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for putting words to that. Um so why do you think there's so much stigma around conversation, even like conversations like this perhaps, but like the term is mental health, the term mental illness? Yeah, I've thought about this. It's so bizarre to me. I mean, this, the simplest version for me is people don't really talk about how their mind works and like the bizarre, strange nature that we have kind of this internal dialogue and internal imagery and these moods that arise sometimes without stimuli. And rarely do we talk about, whoa, it's really weird being a human. It's really bizarre in here. Um, And then I just add on top, there's so many like cultural norms around, you know, playing nice and those aren't the type of conversations we have right now or like, you know, don't get too intense into what's happening for you personally, you know, just say you're doing okay. So I'm like, there's not really space when you ask someone, how are you doing for them to say, oh, actually like today is full of anxiety and intensity and, you know, I woke up and had a wild dream or this, you know, like there's not an invitation to go there. So I think it just gets tabooed and kind of like pushed into the shadow. And I think, right. yeah, maybe we're all made to believe it's just like an internal journey that we deal with on our own, as opposed to like, oh, this is something we can all relate to as humans, which is like, what is your mind like? What's going on in there? How weird does it get? How scary does it get? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's so wild because it's like we're a culture that's so about like, the collective and like parties and like doing things together and like, you know, and almost like invading people's personal space to an extent. But when it comes to our minds, it's like, we're so like in isolation. Yeah. 
It is. I, I'm glad you put that. Yeah, something about all of us being wedged in a place, but then there's a certain part of ourselves that gets no exposure or no invitation to be a part of the party. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah it's um, bizarre to me. Yeah. I wonder if it's like an American phenomenon or like if it's it's interesting to me that mental health is such, there's so much stigma. There's so much stigma. Yeah, absolutely. And I get it. I mean, it's just my relationship with my own mind. Like it gets scary and it gets dark and it gets, I mean, there's so many things that I would prefer not to share with people. So I get why we hold it inward, you know, and like insecure, like all these sensitive topics of insecurity and jealousy and like, all these things that come up, I'm like, wow, I don't want to, sh- I don't want to share that with people. And then also, I'm like, some part of me is like, but it, how relieving it is to hear people start to talk about it. And I'm like, oh yes, cool, I'm not the only one. And right. Like, oh, yeah, that's the liberation. It's like, wait, we all kind of work with these really gnarly forms of mind. You know, it's interesting right. once you start getting curious of like, how do you work with it? You know, like, what are you doing to manage that stuff? Um, that's what I get excited about as a therapist. Yeah. Are you asking me? Yeah, I, yeah, I wouldn't, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I didn't know if you were, like, posing that as, like, a rhetorical question to, like, the audience. Like, how do you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I but, do um, mean it rhetorically, but I'm curious, too. Yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, So I do take lithium, which I will say, like, I haven't always been a person that's been about the allopathic route. Mm-hmm. Um, But when it came to, like, my managing these racing thoughts that I was experiencing, I – and I'll talk about this um, in a different interview coming up that will be, as of right now, as at the time of this recording, has not yet been released. But um, with a different person, he and I talk about um, just, like, medications and how it's kind of like throwing darts at a dartboard. And, like, those yeah. the doctors who prescribe medications don't necessarily know. Like, you can't really know what's going on in someone else's mind. So I did try a lot of different other medications for a while and was – really put off by a lot of them because of my experiences and how much worse my symptoms got. Mm-hmm. Um, but I researched lithium and learned that it's like a salt that's naturally occurring in our bodies anyway. And I was like, okay, like I'm a pretty like holistic person. This, this like aligns with that. Um, I haven't done extensive, extensive research on lithium, but I started taking it and my thoughts like immediately, it wasn't like the, it was, the, I mean, it was the contents, like the paranoia that shifted, but then also like the racing thoughts really kind of started to dissipate. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was like a key element for me. Um, I've considered, um, and I we will talk about this later in this conversation, I'm sure. Um, but uh, I mean, I've considered, I don't want to be on medication my whole life. Like I just... I feel like that's just my own personal feeling about it. Um, and so I've considered like some sort of guided psychotherapy using a substance and kind of like focusing on like certain certain neural pathways that I have that maybe without the medications that I'm on, about the lithium, mm-hmm. um, I would be going down quite a bit and be like really, really paranoid again because of those neural pathways. Yeah. So I'm curious and Again, we'll talk about this later. Um, but for me, like, my main practice is, like, alongside lithium, um, I have, like, a physical practice where I work out. Like, that's huge for my mental health, um, just moving my body and feeling like I'm, like, working my being, like, into, like, exhaust- exhaustion at times, mm-hmm. even. Yeah. Um, 
and then sleep is so vital. I used to get like there were times when I was taking um, different medications, but it was it was really kind of messing messing with my brain in not cool ways. Um, I was getting like two hours or three hours of sleep at night, and that was contributing. So like I was recognizing that insomnia was contributing to my racing thoughts too. So um, now I get like eight hours of sleep. So yeah. I'll just like reiterate. So there are like certain things I do. Like I, I don't really drink. I don't use like substances um, anymore really at all. I'll, I can have like a beer here and there, but um, it also decreases the efficacy of my medication. So I choose not to mess with that. Yeah. Um, plus I don't really like enjoy, I mean, I'm 33 at this point. Like I don't really um, enjoy getting like, ridiculously drunk like that's not fun for me yeah kind of kind of loses loses its excitement yeah 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 so there's there's a combination of things that i kind of i've recognized and what feels best for me yeah see that's what i appreciate when you you use the term the mental health journey and to me that's like ultimately i think everyone's role and responsibility in relationship to their mind is to do yeah like what you're talking about which is like experiment right it's like if things feel unmanageable, I love the dynamic of like bringing in a medication to reduce the things that feel unmanageable and give us the grounds to start exploring, okay, you know, now that the racing thoughts and the paranoia are not primary and I work on my sleep and exercise and wait, when I don't drink, I actually feel a little bit better. So maybe I'll stop doing that. It's like this ongoing exploration of what actually helps us feel well. And yeah. to me, I'm like, in some ways, I always want to, like, cherish that path. Like, what a beautiful thing to get to really figure ourselves out and put yeah. the puzzle pieces together of, like, ooh, like, what makes me feel most optimal? <laughs> yeah. Like, to me, it's, yeah, I, I wish more people would get excited about helping people navigate that, even collectively as a cult. Like, yeah, I'm curious to see, you know, like, what helps my friends feel like the best versions of themselves and my family and, yeah. That's amazing. I'm I'm with you on that. I think that there are so many different kinds of health too. It's like the journey inwards, right? Like it's like finding out like how our spiritual health, how our mental health, how our physical health, how our like all these different types of health like all come together to create a better version of ourselves. And yeah, I, I appreciate the way you ordered that. Mm-hmm. Bingo. And dare I say I think sleep is the crown jewel of mental health to be honest. Oh, like it's the yeah. first domino that when that one falls, I think a lot can fall behind it. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. Kind of this pinnacle foundation part of you know, our sleep is poof. Yeah. 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 Agreed. 100%. Um, so I'm curious if we want to move a little bit into um, talking about you. Um, when I'm curious about when you first recognized the need to kind of tend to your own mental health. Or when did your own mental health journey begin, like your own conscious journey with it? Yeah, well, it's funny because I feel like when we talk about why it's so hard to talk about mental health, I think the first, like, forms of pain that I started to feel was, like, through adolescence, which was, like, having all these internal inquiries of, like, am I more anxious than everyone else? I feel a lot of fear and all this stuff's happening internally that feels really complex and difficult to navigate, like, is this okay? Am I okay? And I think those questions ultimately is what started me on the path of kind of exploring the mind. I really had a cool, fortunate event, which is being a twin. Mm, So there's a dynamic of being a twin, which is like you're kind of looking in a mirror pretty consistently. 
and it's such a beautiful way to get reflection of, and in some way confirmation and validation of like, okay, he's also going through that. Or like things are also coming up for him. Or when I talk to him, I can feel, you know, we have like similar things happening internally. And that actually provided a lot of comfort. Um, but yeah, yeah it's like this, this adolescent period of like really comparing oneself, you know, navigating all the norms of being, a, I'm like, that's where I really started to go deeply internal. Um, but what I noticed at that point is like, I didn't have a lot of guidance. I was kind of left on my own and I just did a lot of experimentation of like, how am I supposed to feel in here? Or like, what helps me feel good in here? Um, so I did the gamut of kind of getting introduced into drugs and smoking pot at an early age and drinking and using mushrooms at an early age. <clears throat> and I would just became really fascinated in some ways of like, whoa, okay, the way I feel internally can shift and change. You know, when I introduce a drug into it, it shifts and it changes. Oh, now I feel more confident. And, um, yeah, I think that's, I became a bit of an experimenter with like, okay, I want to understand these different forms of mind that are happening. Um, the tough thing, I, a lot of it was to in, to get through the anxiety of like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm okay or not, you know. Right, um, right. Yeah, like coping a little bit with that. Yeah, absolutely. That's interesting um, that you were, you described yourself as an experimenter in terms of like, it seems like you, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like you're saying like you really saw things from kind of like a perspective of like seeing your mental health, like in, in a way, like identifying what what worked and what didn't for you on some level. Like I just, I'm comparing it to my own journey with, with psychedelics and with substances. And I know my first experience with mushrooms and I guess subsequent trips um, in particular, because that started at kind of an early age, um, I kind of was just like doing it for the weird trippy shit that like we experienced when we were doing it. And it wasn't yeah, like, yeah. oh, I'm going to like see what my mind can do this time. Like I wasn't seeing it from this perspective that I was like looking in and like, um, it was like now what, you know, like kind of like Timothy Leary style, like. Yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, that's kind of that's cool that you that you were able to kind of like um identify certain things like what works and what didn't. It sounds like a kind of trial and error process, like trying to get yeah. working working for you. Yeah, and I think that language comes now in retrospect. I think in the moment it was like you were saying, like I also was just excited to feel different and getting weird and feeling weird. But alongside all of that, definitely, I mean, particularly my early mushroom experience was like just the joy and connection one can feel in an experience like that, particularly as a young person when I'm feeling confused, a bit disconnected, and actually, you know, like I don't feel as close to my parents or my friends as I'd like to. And then to have this blueprint arrive through a mushroom experience of like, whoa, now I feel immensely connected to the planet and to myself and to my heart. And I was like, whoa, okay, that's available. That's, that's yeah. the thing. How do I get more of that or feel more of that? Um, to me, it's just like opened a lot of doors and opened a lot of channels. Um, totally, totally. And I would say I kept going back to mushrooms because of those experiences. I just, I guess I'm just saying that I don't think I saw it from this like perspective that was like, what, what can I like do to change my day to day experience? Like, you know, yeah. yeah so. Yeah. Yeah, I would argue a lot of my early days with substances were not quite as intentional, maybe, as they sound when I talk about okay. it now. 
you know, I think some part of me, like some part of me was learning and accruing, you know, things through that process while also getting distracted and getting high and being stuck often. Um, yeah, yeah. 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 Nice. Um, so that was, yeah, that was a big piece. And even through that process, something around getting introduced fairly young to like the notions and introduction of Zen Buddhism, which is all about introspection in the mind and, I think particularly because I felt so confused and didn't receive a lot of validation around, you know, like, is this normal? How do you work with your mood and how do you manage stuff like this? I was always like kind of scraping and looking for guidance and, you know, like started studying just Zen Buddhism and just this dynamic of like looking internal. I'm like, okay, this feels like a really good road to figure out and get some clarity around like what it means to be a human. Because I would say, yeah, I had like a lot of existential angst as a young person. Just like I don't get, I don't get this, and I don't feel, I don't feel like other people. You know, people appear to be a little bit more present and less hyper vigilant and less uncomfortable with how weird this is. So I'm like, I need help. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I went searching. You know. What kind of did you live in? Like a pretty like, I don't want to say like normal. Con- well, normal consciousness is, I guess, like a pretty decent sort of benign term like um like what kind of upbringing did you have um yeah i would the word normal strangely fits just you know yeah yeah just kind of like it it felt like a day-to-day but i think the things that felt like they were missing was like no deep introspection you know no curiosity as to what's happening internally it was just kind of like to me it almost feels like a bit of a closed off like put your head down and follow the course that most people follow that I would say that's kind of the system I grew up in right right and like yeah. if, you, if you step to the left and do something abnormal you'll get some feedback of like well that's weird like, why, would, why would you do that why would you be interested in that um yeah yeah um I'm interested in the Zen Buddhism comment and your interest in that from an early age and how that kind of has led to your work and what you're doing today in the world yeah, well, on my own too. I think some pursuit with uh, moving towards Zen Buddhism was from a pretty shadowy place. I think I had this notion of like, oh wow, Buddhists and meditation. It feel it feels like you can really build an indestructible kind of sense of yourself. I'm like, okay, if I really find peace and do internal meditation, maybe I won't feel suffering and I won't feel the anxiety and panic I feel with my friends and da 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 da. Like, oh cool, like maybe this will be good body armor. And then mm-hmm. um. As I pursued it deeply, I realized, like, oh, no, actually, this is, like, becoming really intimate with your suffering and starting to understand all the complex emotions that arise and learning to even, like, be with them and meet them with curiosity. I'm like, oh, shit, this is going to be way harder than I expected. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I got really fascinated and really interested into it, which I think inevitably carried me to Naropa University, which is where I got my master's, because, yeah, the, the role of contemplation became really important in my life, and looking inward and again like we talked about with the dynamics of mental health like cultivating mind states that felt positive or productive or helped me do well in the external world of my relationships that became a really big piece of my focus it sounds like such a beautiful tool yeah 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 can you so i kind of explain spiritual bypassing in one way but i just that's what came up for me and it's like um 
I mean, and this is kind of related into what we're moving into with like the psychotherapy piece and like your Buddhist perspective um, and the connection between all that. But just to like, like I wanted, I wanted to find spiritual bypassing on this podcast because we do talk about spirituality here and there. And yeah. I feel like when you just brought up, you were like, you started to move into Buddhism and I, I think different people experience this with psychedelics and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then they kind of stop before like when things get too dark and like shadowy. Um, so how would you kind of describe um, spiritual bypassing and I can kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I'll speak to from my experience with it. Yeah. Which is, yeah. It's like pursuit. I feel like we, we live in an ultimate and a relative, the ultimate being like there is a dynamic where we're all one. We create our reality, you know, like, love is the answer that those are all true you know true ultimate things that you can feel in a spiritual state in a psychedelic state and we live in a relative reality where i get agitated i get annoyed i get hurt and i have an ego and i think spiritual bypassing to me is just like attempting to live in the ultimate without relationship to the ground that we actually need to relate to day to day um Yeah, and that's, I mean, I guess just the notion of a bypass, it's just a big hop over the nitty-gritty part and just a preference for the soft, ethereal, you know, I am beyond the woes of this reality, which to me, I'm like, no, you're not. None of us are, you know. You You have a physical body, and with that alone, you are, you know, relating to the relative every day. Completely. You're susceptible to all of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. Um, in our, I hadn't really considered the element of like the yin yang, like um, in terms of spiritual bypassing, like in that context. But in our logo, like the face is in like um, the yin, like the dark. And I think we considered putting like having um, Sia, who did our beautiful logo, um, doing like faces on like both sides. We were like, mm-hmm. this, is, this is cool because it's like embracing like. It's like recognizing that, like, the, like we can live in like the shadow mind and still have this beautiful, have like branches grow. From, but there's, yeah. like, you know, like there's like there's there's light there too, of course. With the Absolutely, yeah. I think some of the most beautiful things come from that, you know, from the dark, the dark spaces and the shadows, and yeah, which is I think the danger of the spiritual bypass in a way too. Of like you miss a lot of juice. Yeah. A lot of the juice and zest of being alive is actually in the painful. I mean, for me, this feels true. In the in the pain and discomfort is a lot of beauty and magic. Completely, completely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, my experience in moving through, like, my intense paranoia, like, led me to an experience with intense shadow and intense, like, the concept of death. Like, I really, like, explored it. And I think that... It can be so beautiful to kind of um, embrace, like, all of it and mm-hmm. recognize that everything, like, seeds grow in the darkness, like, underground, yeah. you know. And, um, yeah, so I'm just totally identifying with what you're saying. So, yeah. yeah, I love that. Yeah, there's, like, beautiful things to be excavated in all those yeah, particularly, I'm like, yeah, death is one of those areas that few of us want to tiptoe towards. Yeah, and sometimes our spirit will just toss us in there to get a little bit of... Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, shake things up. I mean, it makes sense. It's like the ultimate unknown, you know. It's definitely 
makes sense that folks are scared of it. And it's also a reality. So in like the figurative and the literal, like everything's dying all the time. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Um, so how would you connect uh, psychotherapy with your contemplative or contemplative practice in general? Like how do the two connect? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mentioned to you right before we started the podcast, they're so inseparable. Because I yeah. think a big piece of my my relationship to contemplative practice is this belief and a suggestion that like we are innately well and innately healthy. And I mean, in the Buddhist concept, they would say basically good or brilliantly sane. And that our essence is so, so clean and pure and full of openness and love and compassion. And that like health or disease or unhealth is actually just the shadowing of what is actually innate. So when you work from that frame, it becomes less about identifying with illness and more of like, how do I clear the fog that is blocking what is true, which is that I'm like a never ending source of love and compassion and health and wellness that may be disturbed or having a bunch of filters that are moving that. Um, and all of my psychotherapy works from that frame, which is when I'm sitting with somebody, my belief and understanding is that they are innately well, innately intelligent, innately clean internally. And that like our job is understanding what is really distorting that like essential part of us that knows exactly how to heal and how to grow and how to manifest in this world in a way that feels really good and joyful and alive and full. And yeah, my pursuit in psychotherapy with clients is just exploring that. Like, okay, let's really start to examine, you know, where the mirror is broken or like what's, what's getting in the way of the ray of light that is naturally kind of coming from our soul, if you will. Um, I, so I, don't that. Sounds, I don't know if that sounds too esoteric, but that's kind of how I relate. No. Yeah. And to me, contemplative practice is like finding ways to continue to live and reside in that space that is whole and well. So whether it be through meditation or through movement practice, it's like I just really want to feel that essential part of myself and tap it like a well and just say like, wow, I would love for as much of my life to move from this space as possible, you know? Yeah, yeah, I love that. I'm picturing so many like um, different kind of like diagrams in my head of like ways to draw this. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so we we started to talk about psychotherapy um, and you work with ketamine-assisted psychotherapy, which is, I think, just fascinating um, in so many ways. And I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. I've had some experiences with ketamine, but it's been in, like, festival settings and, like, yeah. a little chaotic. And I'm curious, I'm so curious about, like, how it's used as kind of medicine mm -hmm. um, in, like, a guided setting and kind of what's the benefit for that. Yeah. Well, it's funny because actually... I mean, I grew up and, like, drugs were a big piece of my world growing up, and I somehow never really found myself introduced to ketamine in the recreational sense, so I only know it in the clinical setting, which is kind mm -hmm. of a fun thing. Yeah, I haven't really seen it at the festival, and, yeah, and I can imagine, I've, I mean, I heard the horror stories of the K-hole and, you know, yeah. the horse tranquilizer, and I'm like, oh, wow, okay, ketamine's really bad. Um, yeah. So when I got introduced to it as a clinician, and they were saying, hey, we're actually finding this is a really potent medicine for treatment-resistant depression, for trauma, for addiction. 
I was like, wait, 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 the K-hole one? Like, the one with the... Yeah. The people like, wait, 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 let me, like, let's introduce you a bit more. Um, so I did a training with Dr. Phil Wolfson, who's kind of a pioneer of this ketamine-assisted therapy. Um, and there's truth, like, MDMA showing efficacy, psilocybin is showing efficacy. The tough thing is that they're all Schedule One illegal substances versus mm-hmm. ketamine, which is a Schedule Three legal prescribable medication that has kind of pretty significant psychedelic properties at certain mm-hmm. doses. So I think therapists figure that out. And there's something, I mean, there's two different waves of how we like to use ketamine. One, which we call kind of transformation dosing, which is the idea that like a psychedelic state, um, and particularly the style that's done with ketamine, which is associative, you will like leave your kind of oriented sense of reality and your consciousness will be moving and transitioning in ways that are very foreign um, data that you normally don't get access to. You Visually, it will feel very novel, potentially bizarre. And in some ways, just that experience in itself can innately be very healing, particularly for someone who's been trapped in a depressed state, kind of in this looping, stuck, lethargic state, to just feel the resilience of like my mind can manifest in a much different manner. That inherently can just have some antidepressant effects of like, whoa, okay, there, there's more here. Um, so that's kind of what we call this transformation dosing. We also do what's called trance dosing, which is lower levels. We're not really getting someone fully embodied and fully dissociated, um, but we're taking enough of the medicine that it kind of dislodges the hyper-attachment to the ego and to the sense of self, so you feel a little bit of dislodging, but you're still present, you're still able to talk, and that's where we'll do a lot of talk therapy. Um, and the beautiful thing about that and the beautiful thing about ketamine is it acts on the glutamate receptors, really reduces kind of like these excitatory or anxiety-inducing neurochemicals, so we can just start moving towards territory that would normally we'd hit with kind of fear or even a post-traumatic stress response, and all of a sudden the body feels way more resilient, the system is way more open, the mind is a little bit easier able to navigate the territory, Um, and that's when people say, like, it feels like multiple therapy sessions in one, you can just move through content and meet it with openness and kindness and curiosity in ways that typically feel quite challenging, if not I mean, impossible for some folks. So, to wow. me, it's just, yeah, just a very potent medicine, not to be used for everybody, but particularly treatment-resistant issues where I've tried the talk therapy, I've tried some medications, I've tried the yoga, I've tried the diet, and I'm, I'm stuck. I'm so stuck. Um, that's where I really think ketamine and other psychedelics can be quite powerful. Definitely. Um, thank you so much for explaining that. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious who um so you mentioned who are the like the viable kind of candidates for something like ketamine assisted psychotherapy and also um well yeah let's start with that yeah i mean a a good provider will tell you i mean the most research is really around treatment resistant depression so i mean if you're someone who's really struggled with depression and we're talking like you know can't get out of my bed dealing with suicidality and that just being you know my reality day today really good candidates for ketamine. We see wonderful results where people just, I mean, and it can move pretty quickly. I mean, we've seen people go from pretty high suicidality, not sure they're wanting to live, to being up, being out, exercising, you know, changing diet, changing routine in the course of two weeks, three weeks. So, I mean, it can be a pretty radical shift. Wow. Um, and then we're also starting to see increased results with um, trauma-related psychological struggles, so maybe someone who has an event-related trauma, 
really hard time going to it in talk therapy. I struggle with dissociation. The interesting thing is we'll catalyze the dissociation with the medicine and then do the work with them. And typically people can kind of move through um, trauma in the psychotherapy session in ways that feel a little bit different than your ability to do that in typical talk therapy. Right. And then I'm getting particularly excited about addiction, which to me I'm like at the root of that typically is depression or trauma. But um, I've just been seeing really wonderful results with people struggling with alcoholism and heroin addiction and, you know, which there's quite a taboo when you're giving someone who's taking drugs and addicted a psychedelic substance. But I always work from that frame of sometimes the medicine is in the poison. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it tends to work. I mean, so far I've seen pretty good results with that as well. That's beautiful. I think that there are, I've always kind of had this kind of feeling that there are kind of like soul-sapping substances and then there are soul-boosting ones. Yeah, I love that. You know? <laughs> like, um, so this definitely falls into the, the latter category, it sounds like, depending on how it's used. Of course, it's all about it's all about how something's used and utilized. Um, yeah, absolutely. How many yeah. sessions does it take for, is it like an ongoing thing or like, is it kind of like one and one and done and you have like well, a great yeah. experience and you're, you're yeah healed. it depends yes i mean as with most psychedelic work it's so particular to the user and the provider um but typically we do a series of treatments i mean ketamine is considered kind of a cumulative medicine so it works best when you do a series of ketamine sessions over the course of like a pretty short amount of time and what that typically looks like for people is doing maybe like an introductory two sessions the first week two sessions the second week, one session the third week, and then stop and check in. So you have done five sessions, and um, sessions are typically two to three and a half hours. Um, the dosing can range. I mean, you can be taking a low-dose lozenge, as I mentioned, like the core, more the trance style, keeping a psychotherapist in the room, um, or you can be doing what we call the transformation dosing, which is intramuscular injection, high dose, kind of really putting you into a pretty, I would say, more extreme psychedelic state. Um, and we really, the nice thing is you really get to know the client and do a lot of prep and individual psychotherapy on the front end, discuss their history with other psychedelics and other medicines, and really kind of tailor it to the person. And then you just keep open communication through the treatment. So after treatment one, we expect people are going to be doing what we call integration work, which is you come in, you chat about what's coming up in the session, you know, how are you navigating it outside of the session, um, how are you feeling about going back in, what symptoms are reducing, has anything increased? And just, I mean, you create a nice model of, like, making sure everything is working well. And when someone starts to feel a lot of relief and you see the symptoms moving, you stick to psychotherapy and you stick to integration. Um, and my hope is, yeah, you don't need too much ketamine in your body. Um, but it's more of like a catalyzer in the beginning and then you kind of scale off. Wow. Wow. What does it do with um, dopamine? Yeah, I'm not too familiar with the dopamine part. I'm like just thinking about the direct experience itself. It usually isn't a, I mean, a lot of these other medicines are like really bliss-oriented experiences. This is like a much more neutral. Um, a lot of people describe it as like a calm, cooling medicine, and I think that's more because it's working more on the glutamate um, than anything. Um, but yeah, I, I need to do my research on the uh, dopamine element. Yeah, no, no, it's, I'm just curious and I... I'm curious because I've been told that with someone who has been diagnosed as bipolar, like I have, um, 
there's an influx of dopamine in my temporal lobe as opposed to my frontal lobe. And the frontal lobe is like when you get like the good kind of like happy, feel good um, experience with the dopamine. And then the temporal lobe is just like this intense, like a lot of things moving and um, ultimately what it, what created for me paranoia. So I just was yeah. curious if like, um, if it like shift, if it, you know, for people who, I'm, I don't know if that's the case for everyone who has bipolar. I would assume that's, that maybe it is. I don't know though. Um, I, I just, I was just thinking along that, along that line. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's a great question. And I think it like, it reminds me of something that's very important to know is like as a psychotherapist, I actually can't provide ketamine. So I'm working in collaboration with a family nurse practitioner or an MD for someone who can prescribe. And they're typically doing a lot of the biomedical elements with my client. So while I'm sitting in the room providing the psychotherapy and sitting with the client, it's really the doctor or the nurse that's kind of yeah, engaging those questions. And yeah, I would love, I got to bounce that question off my collaborating nurse. Yeah. Really? Um, well, yeah, cool. So have you ever um, experienced sitting with someone who goes into like a state of psychosis or like, um, like it's very, I mean, and I'm assuming like from what you said, like if you're kind of catalyzing some of these traumatic feelings that were attached to trauma or so on and so forth, like maybe people were, are, do go into like a fearful state. Um, does that happen that? With the ketamine specifically? Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's so rare because as I mentioned, I mean, the ketamine itself is in some way lowering and disinhibiting these like fear anxiety buttons that normally get hit. So because it acts on a certain receptor and because it's kind of dropping those alarm systems, that's what makes it a very magical medicine. You know what I'm saying? So like typically, even if you experience visuals that feel scary or the content normally would feel scary, the part of our body that responds with panic or fright is so decreased because of the ketamine medicine that you're usually meeting it with, I would say, like a level of equanimity or openness or even just like calm seeing and understanding. And it's you're, you're meeting it with much different mood than normally you would experience, you know, seeing a related image or, you know, like facing an image that comes up in the academic space that's particularly dark or challenging. Yeah, usually the mood and the connection to it is much more neutralized, um, which is to me part of what makes the medicine really special. Totally. That is really special. It's like, so it's like a microcosm kind of like you learn how to face shadow and darkness and like the, the trauma and that kind of thing when you're in the session and then you, this is what I'm getting from it. You like learn how to do that kind of in life or feel more like hopeful at least that you can maybe. That sounds yes. To me, I'm like really the power of psychedelics to me. They show, they give us a key and they show us a blueprint of how we can respond internally and externally to things that normally feel maybe really challenging and tough and psychedelics just widen our window of tolerance they widen our ability to be with things and tolerate things um which to me i'm like with good integration on the back end yeah that's what we really develop um, but sometimes really someone needs to feel the blueprint first right the fact of like whoa i can go in this territory and actually feel a sense of calm that's possible um and just that experience in itself can be integrated and built on and yeah that's the hope is we you know, lessen the need of bringing the medicine to do that. And it's more around like, okay, how do we cultivate that now that the body knows that that's possible? Totally. Totally. Yeah. yeah this is bringing together so much of what you said. Um, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, 
So what would you say to someone who has never tried a psychedelic or ketamine or any substance like that and is really struggling um, in their lives with maybe suicidality, suicide ideations, um, yeah. or, um, you know, struggling in, in whatever kind of dark place that they're in, how would you kind of, like, express that this is a medicine that might, I mean, you kind of, you did kind of go there, but just, like, speaking to someone directly who has maybe some stigma around psychedelics and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, here here's the way I think about it, too, of, like, most, most people that find me that are in kind of a treatment-resistant spot, they've tried eight to ten medications, which when you explore that idea, a psychedelic is inherently similar to a medication, right? It's it's something we're ingesting that is providing an alteration in our internal state. And I think psychedelics get a little bit of a stigma as if there's something different. But to me, I'm like, it's, it's to me, it's comparable. I wouldn't want to associate it with coffee and things like that. But like we are we are working with our minds and altering our minds in all types of ways every single day, you know? And whether it be through medication or nicotine or whatever it is, I mean, we are creatures that alter our consciousness. Right. If something if something has the ability to really help us navigate our mind state, and we're at a point where we're really, you know, some some part of us is feeling a breaking point, or you know, the suicidality is that alive, we almost have nothing to lose by utilizing a different medicine and seeing if it can provide some benefit. So. I really, I mean, I do think it's the self-efficacy of the person who decides to do it, but I would say talk to someone who's really passionate and enthusiastic about this, but also talk to someone who's really well-trained and has seen the benefit um, and weigh the pros and cons, similar to how you would do with taking a medication and, you know, even choosing to go into psychotherapy. It's like there's pros and cons to doing anything, and yeah, I would just advocate, um, like, there's there's many roads to healing. Psychedelics is one of those roads, and, yeah, instead of holding stigma, just trust there's there's people that are really enthusiastic and passionate about using these as healing tools and they can do they can do wonders um so it's not to be crossed off the list i would keep an open mind how was that no that's great thank you yeah. i really appreciate that um, i mean there's been stigma around so many things throughout history right that just like have been proven to actually be very have been great and beneficial and this is like sounds like it's like one more thing that there's stigma around and if you move past it, there's a lot of light on the other side. Yeah, and I get it. I mean, there's the fear of, like, I don't want to put more drugs in my body. I don't want to get addicted. Those, to me, are, like, real fears. And I think, you know, like, bringing those in and working with a professional or provider who can, like, manage the risk, um, that's another big piece of this. Totally, totally. Um, so, well, well, thank you so much. Let's start to wrap up a little bit. Is there anything you'd like to add um, just in terms of the work that you do in other areas, anything else you'd like to promote that you have going on in your life? Um, yeah, anything at all? Hmm, good question. I mean, yeah, you can always find a little bit about the work I do, CraigSalernoCounseling.com, so just my name, um, with counseling on the end.com. And then also I'm a part of what's called the Boulder Ketamine Collective. So we have a website, BoulderKetamineCollective.com. You can kind of find a lot of the work we're doing. We have a blog post with kind of different articles examining how we're using psychedelics and therapy and you know, like what this form of treatment looks like. Um, so, I, yeah, I'd encourage people to take a peek at that. Um, yeah, and then also I just want to give a big shout-out to you. Of like a big piece of the work I like to do is just advocating that, like, we should all be, you know, braving the path of talking about our mind and working with our mind. And, yeah, the more people that can really march forward and be open and honest about what happens internally and, 
start to explore how to make it feel safer and more comfortable in there. I just love that pursuit and I love that you're doing this podcast. So thank you, Craig. Yeah. yeah. The more the merrier. Let's keep let's keep normalizing these things that are yeah they feel like yeah. they need to be private and to me I'm like let's share and be open and let's all come out and say like wow being a human's weird. Yeah, it is let's weird. It. Yeah, yeah. Let's be weird together and yeah. and heal and work towards commonality and common goals and see what brings us together and yeah, I'm with yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, no. Bingo. My pleasure. Mental health affects us all. If you are feeling suicidal, please call the suicide hotline at 1-800-273-8255. The curious paradox is that when I accept myself just as I am, then I change. Carl Rogers. Thank you to the city of Detroit where we record this podcast each week. To Ayla Nario for the use of her beautiful song, and to our listeners who may be struggling with mental health issues, may this podcast serve as a light in what can often be a very dark night. Catch you next time on the Bridge to Branches podcast. Mm-hmm.